This is Dr. Tina Webb, and you are listening to the Coping Season Podcast, the show that discusses mental and emotional wellness to help black men and black women begin to heal and cope with the effects of emotional distress. Although I am a licensed clinical social worker, please note that this podcast is not meant to be used as a substitute for a relationship with a licensed therapist. Get ready to laugh, think, and be entertained. It's time to cope. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. I hope you are all doing well. I just want to say thank you again for all of your support. And I have been looking forward to talking to you all again. So let's just get right into it. First, I'd like to give a shout out to my daddy because we were talking this past weekend and Michelle Obama came up in the conversation and the conversation with my dad inspired me to do this episode today. So thank you, daddy. So last week, our forever first lady, Michelle Obama, um, she has a new podcast and she was on her show and she was saying that these times that we're living in are not spiritually fulfilling times and that she's been dealing with what she calls a low grade depression as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic, as a result of racial strife and political strife surrounding it all. And she was saying that being in quarantine, dealing with the racial strife we've been facing and just seeing the hypocrisy of the Trump administration day in and day out has been dispiriting. And I can say that she is definitely not alone in feeling this way because I feel this way too. My friends, family, my colleagues feel the same way. So she went on to say too how it's exhausting to be waking up yet to another story of a black man or a black person somehow being dehumanized or hurt or killed or falsely accused of something. And she talked about her frustrations also with people who refuse to wear a mask and how after about a month, everybody got tired of the virus and that in the beginning, everybody was on board to get rid of this virus. But then it's like we only sacrificed for a month before people got tired of staying at home. And she was just saying it's been disheartening to see so many people that have grown so grown so tired of staying at home because the virus didn't impact them. She was talking about how we've been through rough times in this nation before, but these times that we are in now are a unique moment in history. And we're living through something that no one in our lifetime has ever lived through. And I think that she couldn't have said that any better. You know, we are living through uncertain times and we're living through hopeful times as well. It's just so much to say about our lives today. And, you know, she shared that for her, she hasn't been moving around as much during this time. She's been knockout tired at the end of the day. She goes to bed later. She talked about how her sleep has changed and she's been waking up in the middle of the night because she's been worrying about something or there's a heavy a heaviness. After she talked about having a low grade depression, you know, the news and social media, they've been running with it. And what I love about Michelle Obama is that she continuously shows us her humanity and her honesty. Like when I read her book, Becoming, I just identified with her so much. I think a lot of us did. We all have a little Michelle Obama in us. She's so relatable. And I'm thankful that she got the conversation started about depression. Because there are so many people experiencing the same thing and we don't have leadership reassuring us that or even trying to help normalize what we're feeling. But you know how the news and social media is. Like I said, they've been running with it and they've been trying to make a big deal about it as if something is wrong. 
And so she went on Instagram and she posted this comforting picture of her. She's like chilling on her patio. She's looking all relaxed. She has her legs kind of crossed and she's writing. And she said that a lot of people have been checking on her after hearing her episode on her podcast. And she let everybody know that she's doing just fine and there's no reason to worry about her. She went on to say that it's okay to acknowledge the world around us that it can have an effect on our well-being and that the idea that what this country is going through shouldn't have any effect on us, that we should all just feel okay all the time, just doesn't feel feel real to her. And she was just telling everyone that she hopes we are allowing ourselves to feel whatever we're feeling. And she made it clear, hey, thank you for checking on me, but I'm fine. You just need to make sure that you're reaching out to the people that you're closest with. Um, you know, she said, call the people who you're closest with, not just with a text, maybe call them on the phone or do a video chat. She was saying, don't be afraid to offer them a shoulder to lean on and ask for one yourself. So on today's episode of Ask Dr. Tina, I want to read a quote from our Flotus, our forever first lady, in regards to the low-grade depression that she's been experiencing. She said, and I quote, There have been periods throughout this quarantine where I have just felt too low. You know, I've gone through the emotional highs and lows that I think everybody feels where you just don't feel yourself. I know that I'm dealing with some form of low grade depression. I have to say that waking up to the news, waking up to how this administration has or has not responded, waking up to yet another story of a black man or black person somehow being dehumanized or hurt or killed or falsely accused of something is exhausting. It has led to a weight that I haven't felt in my life in a while. And then on her Instagram, she went on to say, I hope you're listening to yourselves and taking a moment to reflect on everything that's coming at us and what you might be able to do about it. And that's what Michelle Obama had to say. Now, what she has shared and what she's experiencing is an it's a normal response, given what's happening in our lives today. And she's not the only one feeling it. She's not the only one who's feeling depressed right now. While she has described having a mild depression, there are a lot of people who are experiencing a more severe form of depression, major depression, and they may need more than exercise and fresh air to pull themselves out of it. Many black people are going through depression at this time. This is a stressful time for many of us. Many times in the black community, depression, like many other health issues, they often go dismissed or they're seen as a form of weakness. And that comes from a lack of knowledge and misinformation. And in many cases, this lack of knowledge can lead to death for many black people. There are many people in the black community who are feeling hopeless, worthless, lonely, alone. They feel ashamed and they are just in so much psychological and emotional pain that they're thinking about killing themselves. And you would never know because of the stigma in the black community. It keeps people from telling anybody that they're struggling and it keeps us from asking for help. And many people don't even know what they're going through and they suffer for years and years or for decades without getting treatment. And depression is a huge issue in the black community. It's devastating. So on today's episode, I want to take a deeper dive into depression in the black community. First, I'd like to say as human beings, it's normal to feel sad at times. It's normal to feel low sometimes, especially when we go through difficult situations like losing a loved one or getting fired from a job. 
going through a divorce, going through a breakup, having financial problems or other difficult situations that can cause a person to feel sad, cause a person to feel lonely and scared. All of these feelings are normal reactions to life stressors. They're normal reactions given the difficult situation that the person has gone through. But in many cases, this normal sadness can quickly turn into clinical depression, a psychiatric disorder, a mental condition, especially when the low mood becomes severe and it lasts for a long period of time. The sadness doesn't go away. It just keeps coming back. So clinical depression is more than just life's ups and downs. Over the last few months, we've been faced with COVID-19 disproportionately spreading throughout the black community. Many of our poorest communities and neighborhoods have been hit hard with this virus. Friends and family members have been dying because of social distancing. People haven't seen their friends and family for a long period of time. We also have this fear that we're going to contract it and people are feeling lonely, which also greatly affects our mental health. And also because of the virus, many black people have lost their jobs. Their hours have been cut and we're facing economic uncertainty. And then... In the midst of us struggling to survive this pandemic, we witnessed the murder of George Floyd, of Rayshard Brooks. We learn of Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery and Elijah McClain following so many other killings of black men and women over the years. And exposure to these continued racial traumas greatly affect our mental health. So we're dealing with racial trauma, COVID-19, income loss, and all of this affects our mental health and it's led to increased depression. All of these stressors have been detrimental to our community and to our mental health. Depression is a very common disorder. It affects all races, all ethnic groups, all ages. It doesn't matter where you live in the world, depression can affect you. But in the black community, it is a very disabling and serious mental health condition because we are less likely to get treatment for it. We are less likely to use mental health services, so we suffer in silence for long periods of time, in many cases for our whole life, which causes a lot of problems for us. It becomes a chronic depression, a clinical depression that affects not just our mood, but our thoughts, our body, our physical health and our behavior. It affects the way we act in the black community. We go undiagnosed and untreated. And when we do get treatment, it's often a lower quality of care. So we live with it the best way we can. And in some cases, that's not living at all. When depression and other mental illnesses hit us in the black community, it hits us hard. It carries a stronger punch because we're also dealing with poverty, chronic health issues, physical trauma, emotional trauma, racism and stress. We face stressors as a result of being black in America. And all of those things contribute to our depression. We suffer a greater burden and disability than any other ethnicity when it comes to our mental health. And as I said in previous episodes, there is a lot of stigma in the black community when it comes to mental illness. There are misconceptions about depression that cause more pain and more confusion. We say things in our community that prevent people from getting the help that they need. It prevents them from getting the proper treatment that they need. We say things like depressed. Here you go with that white people stuff or we'll say, why are you depressed? Or we feel like we can handle it on our own. And we say things like if our ancestors could make it through slavery, then we can make it through anything. We'll say um, you better give it to Jesus and not some stranger. They can't do nothing for you. You need Jesus. 
because some black people believe that mental illness is a punishment from God. They say God don't like ugly. God did this to them because they did something wrong or they did something bad. We'll say things like depressed. Well, you better snap out of it. I don't believe in depression. We tend to see each other as weak or lacking in some way when we say that we're struggling with depression, especially with black women. When a black woman is suffering from a mental condition, she's often seen as weak because we've developed this notion of the strong black woman. I'm a strong black woman. If you can't handle me, then you're weak. We've created this view that weakness in black women is intolerable. We need to have more conversations among ourselves about depression so people can know that you can't just snap out of it. And they can learn that going to get help is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength. In our black communities, the church, the mosque and other faith institutions, they play a huge role in our social support. It's a meeting place. It's our source of strength. It's also where black people go when they're having mental health problems instead of going to seek professional help. When we have more conversations about depression, we can start to better understand that, yes, we can take it to God. We can sing our spirituals. We can teach Bible study. We can pray. We can holy dance as a part of our healing. But also seeking professional help is also a part of the healing. And in many cases, seeking professional help is the most essential part of the healing, because even though seeking spiritual and religious help for some people can be good, it can also not be good. It can cause more distress and more problems and more stigma, especially if your religious institution is not um, educated about mental illness and they don't know the ways to support people and families that are struggling to recover. You know, it's hard for black people to talk about depression and other mental health issues because we didn't grow up talking about mental and emotional well-being. In many households, we didn't grow up talking about our feelings. We learned to be quiet about it. Don't talk about it. We grew up feeling shame when you feel this way, because a lot of times when black people express how they feel, you got called names like sissy, crybaby, faggot, punk. Even as a grown man struggling with depression, you might get called these names by your wife, your girlfriend or your family members because we see depression and mental health issues as a sign of weakness. And even our children who may be struggling with their sexuality, they don't know if they're gay, transgender, bisexual, they're depressed. They're struggling internally and because they're different, they get called these names and that only makes the depression even worse. You may have heard parents or family members say, you know, if you can't handle it now or you can't control your feelings, then how are you going to handle it in the real world? What's going to happen when you get out there on your job and the white man is yelling at you? What you going to do? Cry? What you going to do when you get out there and life gets hard? What you going to do? Break down? Many of us have never heard the words depression or mental illness in our household when we were growing up. And if you did, you heard stuff like, don't ever fix your mouth to tell me about no depression. Do you know what I go through to keep a roof over our head so we can survive? Do you hear me complaining? No, I just do what I got to do. You better learn that. So this is some of the stuff that people hear growing up in the black community. And as black people, we are conditioned to take it to just keep moving forward. And all of this negative shaming comes from a lack of understanding about how depression and other mental health conditions really affect us. We treat depression and other mental illnesses as a normal part of life. We label it grief and strife. So our depression goes untreated. We end up killing ourselves. 
dying by suicide. We end up not being able to hold down a job. We end up with chronic health conditions, sick, taking medications, going to the emergency room. We take our problems out on our family, domestic violence, anger outbursts. We have mood swings. You develop this self-hatred that leads you to raising your kids to grow up confused about love and family because you never got the help that you needed. A lot of black people have dealt with physical abuse and sometimes they don't call it physical abuse. They don't recognize it as that because that's just how it was back in the day. And those beatings that they got were not normal. They were getting beat as a result of their parent having not dealt with their own emotional problems, their own trauma. And they take it out on the kids. We diagnose and treat ourselves with drinking and doing drugs and so many other things. Major depression is a disabling disorder. And we suffer from it immensely in the black community because we've learned to hide our pain. We've learned to keep secrets. And these behaviors are passed down from generation to generation. We as black people in the United States have a unique history because we were brought here as slaves Because of that, our traditions, our behaviors, our views about things, you know, even how our symptoms of depression are presented, it's different. And that's just due to a result of slavery. We face racial disparities when it comes down to just about every aspect of our lives, including our physical health and mental health as a result of racism, sexism and poverty. The relationship between race and depression is complex. Like racism, it multiplies the effects of depression in black people. Like if you're black and you're dealing with depression, you're 160 times more likely to have a stroke than a white person who's dealing with depression. During slavery, it was all about survival and having mental strength. And when we didn't have mental strength, we couldn't just take a break. We couldn't just take time to heal mentally. So that's why since slavery, the church has always been our source of support. It helped us to survive. It helped us to become more resilient and to overcome oppression. So that's why church is a huge pillar even today when it comes to mental health. Our ancestors didn't have the opportunities that we have now, like with therapy and medication and self-care. They couldn't focus on their personal well-being. You know, a lot of people don't like to talk about slavery. They say, oh, that was a long time ago. We need to move forward. Black people need to take responsibility for what's happening in their lives. Some black people feel ashamed and embarrassed when we talk about how slaves were degraded and they want to move past it because they don't want to talk about it. Some white people feel guilty or they feel shame about what their ancestors did and they don't want to be seen as complicit. So they don't want to talk about it. No one wants to talk about it because they don't want to be politically incorrect. But what people don't understand is that talking about slavery is important because the impact of slavery and its legacy of structural and institutional racism has an impact on black mental health today. Slavery is still relevant. The legacy of slavery and the discrimination continues to influence our social and economic standing, which contributes to our depression. It's important to talk about slavery because a lot of our behaviors from then We still do now today, for example, like during slavery, when slaves did display signs of mental illness or they behaved in ways 
that was due to their mental illness, it would result in them getting more frequent beatings and abuse, which forced slaves to disguise and hide their mental health issues, which has an impact on why we still hide ours today. Slavery matters because it has to do with why black people don't trust doctors today, which leads them to not getting treatment for depression and for other mental health conditions. During slavery, diagnosing mental illness in black people was a way to maintain the status quo of slavery. It was used to maintain how slavery was being done. In the 1800s, there was this doctor, a white doctor in Louisiana. He published a paper and it was called the Report on the Diseases and Physical Peculiarities. I cannot say that word to save my life. Peculiarities of the Negro race. And this paper appeared in a scholarly journal. And today, those of you who are in college or you've been to college, we know that scholarly journals, that is our go to source for like research. Those journals are where it's supposed to be based in fact and scientific method. Now, this doctor's paper was neither. It wasn't based in fact. It wasn't based on scientific method. It was his own beliefs, which made it pseudoscience. And, you know, basically it was scientific racism. But they put it in that journal and it made it look like it was just a very trustworthy source and it was like highly esteemed. Now, back then, those Southern journals, they were full of advice for slaveholders and there were articles that people would submit detailing methods for dealing with slave discipline, nutrition, work strategy and other topics. So in the paper that the Louisiana doctor made, he claimed that he discovered two new diseases that only black people can get. And he said that those diseases justified enslaving black people and that slavery was therapeutic. And basically the white slave masters had a moral obligation to help the black people with this condition by making them slaves. He was saying that black people have these mental conditions that slavery can fix and white people have morals and they're helping black people with these medical conditions or mental illnesses. So what were these illnesses that only black people have, you may ask? Well, he claimed that black people who fled slavery suffered from drapetomania, that black people have an uncontrollable, insane, impulsive need to wander that their unwillingness to be enslaved was because they had a disease, a mental illness. So the remedy to help the slave with this mental illness, white slave owners need to beat the devil out of them, amputate their big toes and use the Bible to tell the slaves that the Bible calls for the slave to be submissive to the master. And by doing these things, the slave will have no desire to run away. It was common in the 1800s for pro-slavery doctors to say that black people benefited from being enslaved to white people and any black slave who tried to escape must be crazy. And it's because of this mental disorder that causes them to have this uncontrollable urge to run away that black people and only black people have a disease that causes them to run away from being enslaved. The other mental disorder that the doctor said that the slaves had was dysesthesia aethiopica, which he said explains why black people are lazy. They have a lack of work ethic. So the symptoms of this disorder was disobedience, insolence and refusing to work and having physical lesions and physical lesions. They're talking about the lesions that you see on the back of slaves from when they were hit with with the whips. He was saying that 
they have those lesions because black people's skin was so insensitive. So to cure the lesions, they needed to stimulate the skin by whipping the slaves with a leather strap. He said that it was a disease that affects the black person's mind and body. The disease makes black people stupid and it affects their nerves. And he said that um, in order to treat this illness of laziness, he said black people needed to be put to some kind of hard work in the open air and sunshine under the watchful eye of the white man. Hearing these things sound unbelievable, but they're true. Everything we've gone through has enabled black people to survive and do well, even against enormous odds. We are a resourceful people. We can adapt. We are resilient. And I know it's hurtful to hear and to think about, but it's important to know about these atrocities, these violent and horrible behaviors in the name of mental illness, in the name of medical help, because it contributes to why black people face disparities in regards to our mental and physical health today. It contributes to why many black people don't trust medical professionals because there is a history of negative treatment by medical professionals that shows that they've never had the best interest of black people in mind. Black people's history of slavery, sharecropping and being excluded from health, education, social and economic resources contributes to the health disparities that we face today, as well as our socioeconomic disparities, which lead to depression in the black community. It contributes to why compared to white people, black people are more likely to be poor. Black people are more likely to be uninsured or have restricted health care policies and not have transportation to get to mental health appointments. The history of racism is important because it contributes to why black men during the 1960s and the 1970s, they were diagnosed at high rates of having schizophrenia just because they were involved in the civil rights movement. They were locked in mental institutions and said to have hysteria. Because of our history, it contributes to why black women value their roles of being a mother and a caregiver, but will put their own mental health on the back burner in order to make sure that the family's needs are taken care of. It's why black women often feel guilty when they do activities that promote self-care and self-development. We have a history because of institutionalized racism. Black men are more likely to be unemployed or underemployed, incarcerated, and murdered. Because of that, Black women have a history of having to be strong, of being the backbone of our families, and this balancing act of meeting our personal needs and ensuring the survival needs of the family is met, it leads to depression in Black women. The history of racism contributes to the racial disparities that we see today. Because of negative racial stereotypes, like Black people have thicker skin than white people. Black people have are more immune to physical and mental pain than white people or black people have a greater threshold to handle psychological pain because of all that they've been through. Those false stereotypes sometimes guide some medical professionals. It guides their judgment and it affects how doctors make decisions and how they care for black patients. Studies have shown that black people receive less care and a lower quality of care than white people. There is a history and it still happens today that when black people seek mental health treatment, sometimes medical providers think that black people are faking the symptoms just so that they can get medication so that they can abuse it or they can sell it. That the reason we're seeking help is for secondary gain. 
Let's keep it real. Sometimes that is the case. Sometimes black people do seek treatment because they want the pills or they're applying for disability. But guess what? They're not the only ones doing it. And that might be their reason, but more than likely, they really are depressed. They really do have a mental health condition that they may not even recognize. So if a secondary gain is what brought them in to come to get mental health treatment, then good. Who cares? Let's just help them because black people aren't the only ones, like I said, who are doing that. Black people are just the only ones that get harshly judged for it and don't get treatment and don't get taken seriously. And this bias and discrimination prevents black people from seeking treatment and it causes us to stop treatment and to drop out of it. Y'all know I'm always talking about socioeconomic status and uh, money because it matters. There is a link between our socioeconomic position and depression in the black community. Our household income and unemployment puts us at a greater risk of depression. When we have job security, black people have less symptoms. Black people who are married may have less symptoms of depression because you have two incomes. You have support and your partner. You have somebody to talk to about how you feel. Our education level contributes to depression because studies have shown that black people that have a higher education, they might feel a greater sense of adult achievement and they have a higher self-esteem, especially in black men. And that can help to lower their risk of depression. Many black lives are compounded with poverty, racism, lack of education, community violence, single family households and substance abuse. And they're depressed. Our history of slavery and racial discrimination contributes to the racial disparities and why black people have higher instances of chronic conditions like hypertension, diabetes, chronic lung disease, chronic heart disease, obesity, And all of this contributes to the danger in black people contracting COVID-19. It's killing us at shocking rates. Structural inequalities, bias and racial discrimination contributes to why black people are being exposed to COVID-19 and why we're being disproportionately affected. We have all these pre-existing conditions, which we can get into why we have them in another episode, but it's all connected to slavery, to racial discrimination, to institutionalized racism, to inequalities in education and conversation about health in the black community. Because we live in segregated communities, many black people live in housing areas with limited access to healthy foods, limited access to clean air and green space, which affects our health, our physical health and our mental health. We're getting COVID because a lot of black people work essential frontline jobs in the healthcare profession. They're bus drivers, they're train operators, custodians, they're working the postal service. Most black people don't have the privilege of social distancing and working from home. All of this contributes to our depression. Because of the history of racial bias and discrimination of black people, we are witnessing and hearing these murders of George Floyd and countless others without justice being served. And it's depressing. It's a feeling of being less than. It's dehumanizing. It affects our mental health. It contributes to our depression. And we go untreated. And not just because of stigma and because we don't trust the healthcare system or because we don't have insurance. So we go untreated. Sometimes we don't seek treatment because we're just a very private people. In the black community, there is an importance that we put on family privacy. So we say, don't go telling our business. You don't put your business out in the street. 
we also might have a lack of knowledge about what kind of treatments are available. And a lot of black people, we're in denial. We deny that we have mental health problems. We worry about what people will think of us. Some of us are against taking medications, and that prevents us from using mental health services. Now, when we see major depression in black people, it's chronic. It's severely debilitating. It doesn't matter our age or what life situation you're in. Depression is a serious issue. And in the black community, we have to stop accepting that it's a normal part of life because it's not normal. In the black community, we often say that depression is normal for certain people. Like if you're older, you're a teenager, maybe a new mother, uh, a woman going through menopause or people with chronic illnesses. We say, oh, girl, you just had a baby. It's your hormones acting up. It's normal. Or he's old. Of course, he's going to be feeling a little depressed at his age. Or she's a teenager. She'll grow out of it. Or, oh, you're going through the change. Menopause, that's why you feel like that. And we have to stop normalizing depression for people because then they don't get help and it gets worse. And so we say these things, but the cause of their depression may not even be the reasons that we think. You know, depression affects about 19 million American adults each year. In the black community, only one out of every three black people who need mental health care, only one out of three will receive it. In the black community, we often misunderstand what depression is and we have trouble recognizing the signs and the symptoms. And because of this lack of education, we underestimate the effect of depression and the impact that it has on our daily lives. Because we don't recognize the symptoms of depression in ourselves and others, we're more likely to use the emergency room or go to our primary care doctor instead of going to see a mental health professional or a mental health specialist. And we're more likely to describe emotional and mental distress in terms of like physical symptoms and physical aches and pains because we'd rather people see us as sick rather than quote unquote crazy. And black people in general are just more likely to go to their um, primary care doctor for everything. But the problem is that your medical doctor is not a mental health expert. So sometimes when black people go in and they're depressed, their depression goes undiagnosed. That's why when you go to the doctor, they ask all those questions about depression on the little screener because they're trying to catch it better. So like I said, a lot of our Symptoms of depression are masked as something else, as health problems, because we complain of aches and pains. And that's just because culturally, we express our symptoms differently. Like something that happens to black people a lot is that they'll start feeling dizzy and then suddenly they collapse. And that's referred to as falling out. That often happens as a result of chronic depression. That's how it shows up in black people. Also, sleep paralysis is another thing that happens to black people with chronic depression. And that's when a person can't move when they wake up or when they fall asleep. You know, we often complain, too, of headaches and stomach problems a lot. And that's often how symptoms of depression show up in black people as well. Sometimes depression is masked by substance abuse because as a way to cope with emotional pain caused by depression, some people try to self-medicate. And they end up abusing drugs and alcohol. And then that leads to more problems. You know, depression is the leading cause of disability in the United States for people ages 15 to 44. Depression lasts longer in black people. And that's why it's a chronic disorder. It robs them of their life or the life that they could have. 
Now, there are different types of depressive disorders, but today I want to focus on major depressive disorder because that's the most common um, form of depression. That's probably what a lot of black people are dealing with. What happens when people are dealing with major depression is that for at least two weeks or more, they may have a depressed mood for most of the day, nearly every day. So they might say that they're feeling sad, empty, hopeless, or other people might notice that they look tearful or they want like they want to cry. You know how you see that look in people's eyes and they look like they want to cry and you're like, are you okay? They might look like that or they might be crying excessively. And children and teenagers, you might not see them as sad. They might be more irritable. So they tend to come off as being more irritable as opposed to sad and tearful. And people might also have no interest or feel no pleasure from doing like the things that they would normally enjoy. And you'll see this loss of interest like nearly every day, all day, every day. So say they like to cook. They're always coming up with recipes. They want you to taste something. They're like, oh, look at this. Look what I made and this and that. If they're depressed, they're not cooking like that. They're not into it like they normally are. They might like to sing every song on the radio and they're just not doing that. They might say, I don't care about that or I don't care anymore. They withdraw socially like maybe they always play basketball and that's their thing. Everybody knows that's their thing. And now they're not playing anymore. Or like in kids, you'll see kids who really like playing sports or they like dance and they might be making excuses now why they can't go to practice. In some people, they may not have an interest in sex. They don't have the desire. They have a low libido. In people that are depressed, you might notice that their weight has changed. Like they may have lost a lot of weight and they weren't even trying to. They're not dieting and they've lost a significant amount of weight and it's noticeable. Like their appetite has decreased. You offer them food and they don't want it. Or they say they're not hungry or they have to force themselves to eat. They say, I only eat because I know I have to, but I don't feel hungry. Or maybe they've gained a lot of weight. They're eating a lot more than usual. Their appetite has increased. They're craving a lot of sweets and carbs, a lot of breads and children. They may not be meeting their expected weight for their age. So they're really small for their age. Sometimes, too, when people are depressed, you might notice that they're having problems with their sleep. They might have insomnia. So they're not sleeping. They're up all night. And they're up during the day. They have a hard time falling asleep or they might be waking up in the middle of the night or too early and they can't go back to sleep. Or they might have hypersomnia where all they do is sleep. They can't get out of bed. The room is dark. The covers over their head and they're just sleeping their life away. They sleep a lot during the day and they go to sleep early so that they can sleep a long time during the night. And this will be a nearly everyday thing. And sometimes the sleep disturbance is what gets people into treatment because they'll go to the doctor to get help with a sleep problem. When people are depressed, you might notice that they can't get out of bed. They're not getting out of the bed to feed the kids or see what's happening in the house. They might be restless, like they can't sit still. You might see that they're pacing or they're uh, wringing their hands or pulling on their hands, pulling on their clothes, you know, rubbing on their skin or rubbing on their clothes and other objects. They might feel really slowed down, like they're talking slow, their body is moving slow, their thinking is slow, they're not as mentally quick as they used to be. So when you're talking to them, they have a lot of pauses before they answer a question. They're pausing a lot before they say what they have to say. 
They might be talking slow. Their tone is very flat. They're talking less. Some people don't talk at all. They just kind of go mute. And you might notice too that sometimes when people have depression, they're always tired. They don't have any energy. And that'll be nearly every day, all day, every day. They're tired and they haven't done anything to exert themselves. They haven't done anything to make themselves tired. Even the smallest tasks take a lot of effort and energy from them. So it might take them twice as long to take a shower. It takes them twice as long to get dressed than it normally would. You might notice that instead of them saying that they feel sad, like I said earlier, they complain of physical problems, aches and pains like headaches. They have digestive problems, chronic pain, and they're taking medication for it. They're taking Motrin. They're taking all these things and it doesn't help. The pain doesn't go away. Like maybe they went to the doctor for it and the doctor couldn't find anything wrong, but they're still having all these problems. That might be because they have chronic depression. And also, too, when people are depressed, they might be very irritable and they have anger outbursts. They're snappy and they're yelling about every little thing. They might be blaming other people a lot and they're just over the top with their frustration and their angers over little small things that happen. When people are depressed, they might be feeling worthless, helpless, hopeless. And they say things when they describe their feelings. They say, I feel like blah. Or I don't know how I feel or I feel like mm-hmm. so they might say that they don't have any feelings, but you can tell by their facial expression and their demeanor that something is wrong, that they're not themselves or they might be very negative and pessimistic. So they're kind of hard to be around because they just say the negative things all the time. And they might be thinking about the past a lot and how they failed at little small things in the past. Something that doesn't even mean anything becomes a big deal. And then you'll notice that they make a big deal about trivial things like say they dropped a glass and broke it. They might say, you know, I can't do anything right. Or they might be having excessive guilt or inappropriate guilt and they feel guilty because they're sick and they keep saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, they feel guilty that they didn't go to work or that they didn't go to a friend's party. They blame themselves. Some people get delusional and they might feel like they're the reason for the world being impoverished. So um, a lot of things happen when people are depressed. They might have a hard time thinking. They can't concentrate. They lose their thought a lot. They're very indecisive. They're saying stuff like, I don't know, whatever you want. They can't remember things. They have memory problems or they're easily distracted. Like if they're in school or if they have to do things that require them to think, then they can't function. And children, you'll see that their grades might drop and they can't concentrate. Sometimes in elderly people, these depression symptoms are the beginning stages of dementia. And they may be having reoccurring thoughts of death when people are depressed. They have a fear of dying and they may also keep thinking about suicide. They don't have a plan, but the thought of not being alive anymore crosses their mind. Or they say, like, if I was to not wake up tomorrow, that's okay. Or they might think that everybody would be better off if they were dead. Or they may even attempt suicide. They might try to kill themselves and they have a specific plan. After the kids go to school, I'm going to cook dinner and then I'm going to take that bottle of pills. In severely suicidal people, you'll notice that they put their affairs in order. Like they might update their will. They might pay people that they owe debts to. 
They might have started gathering materials like they buy a rope. They bought a gun. They've chosen a time, a place, a date to kill themselves. They're making plans and they want to kill themselves to end the pain that they're feeling. They just see so many problems and so many obstacles that death seems like the easy way out and they want to give up and get away from these problems. Sometimes the emotional pain just won't end. The pain can be excruciating. They may not be able to see any future enjoyment in their lives or they feel like a burden to their family and to other people. A lot of people struggling with depression, unfortunately, end up killing themselves. The possibility of suicide, it exists at all times when somebody is depressed, especially if they've attempted suicide before or they threatened suicide before. We have to be watchful. And the risk of suicide increases, too, if you're male, if you're single and you live alone or if you are feeling hopeless. So in women, the risk of suicide is higher, but the risk of them actually completing suicide is lower because women, they'll take pills, they'll cut their wrists. But men complete suicide more because they tend to use more lethal means like shooting themselves or hanging themselves. Also, when people are depressed, they might be calling off work a lot. They're not going to work. They might not be bathing and brushing their teeth. They're not combing their hair or getting dressed. They're not answering the phone. They don't want to talk. They want to be left alone a lot. They don't want to be bothered. They just feel very empty. And depression occurs more often in women than men. And when it occurs in men, like you just see it differently in men and women. Like for men, they might be depressed and you might see it more as them being tired. They might be more irritable and angry and they might show reckless behavior like they're abusing drugs and abusing alcohol. In women, depression kind of manifests more as sadness, as, you know, worthlessness and guilt. In children, you might see depression in them manifested as them not wanting to go to school and they might get anxiety when they're separated from the parents or they might be worried about their parents dying. So that's how you'll see it show up in kids. Um, Depressed teenagers, they tend to be more irritable, more smart mouth and they have a bad temper and they don't cooperate and they're getting into trouble at school. When black people are dealing with depression, they also frequently have um, anxiety and substance abuse as well. So another thing I like to say is that depression and anxiety disorders, they're two different things. They're not the same, but people with depression often experience the same symptoms as anxiety. So like they might be nervous, irritable, and having sleeping problems and not able to concentrate, but each disorder is different. It's common for people with depression to have anxiety as well, though. When people are clinically depressed, like you're going to notice that they're having problems socially, occupationally, educationally, and in other important functioning in their life. Like, for instance, a person might start missing work or they're missing school or they stop going to classes or they stop doing their usual social activities. It's important to know, too, that some medical conditions can look like depression or it can trigger some of the depressive symptoms in people. Like when people have um, thyroid disorder, they have a low thyroid. So they have a low level of the thyroid hormone and we call that hypothyroidism. So when that happens, they might be very tired. They're gaining a lot of weight. They're irritable. They can't remember things. They have a low mood. So um, it looks like depression. 
Cushing syndrome is another one of those hormonal disorders, and it's caused by the high levels of the hormone um, cortisol. So that can cause depressive symptoms. You know, when people are diagnosed with HIV or AIDS, um, diabetes, strokes, Parkinson's disease, they have been found to cause depression as well. Sometimes people get depressed because they have an adjustment disorder, like there's some kind of change that's happened in their life. And that change um, has it was very stressful. And it can be something positive too, like, say they started a new job, or they got married, or they had a baby. And those events were so stressful that it caused them to get depressed. And normally, though, within six months or less, they've already adjusted to this new life change, and they learn how to cope with it. So they don't stay depressed. It doesn't turn to chronic depression. Some people get depressed uh, because of the season, like in the wintertime, or they might be depressed because of the length of the days. Like in Alaska, you know, they have uh, periods of time in the winter where they'll have 24 hours of darkness and it'll go on like that. So you go to work and it's dark. You come home and it's dark. Anyway, they have a lot of uh, high level of depression there. You know, it can be very isolating when people deal with depression. Like we're not made to just not have human connection. We are made to have deep, meaningful and fulfilling connections with each other. But when people are depressed, it's hard for them to be a part of that. They want to be social. They want to hang out and talk, but they can't. They have a hard time telling people how they feel and what they're dealing with. So they withdraw from that social part of their life. And that's the part that they really, really need. So when people are depressed and they're unhappy, it's common for them to have this distorted view of people that causes them to feel more depressed. Like people start to feel like other people don't care about them. And that may and that may not be true, especially with social media. People look at other people and think that they're doing so well and they think that other people aren't struggling just like them. Like they're not feeling sad or hopeless or unworthy inside. They scroll through Facebook and and Instagram and compare their lives to other people. What I want you to know is that on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all these social media outlets, everyone is going to look much happier and more successful than you. That's what they intend to show. They're not going to show their table piled up with bills that they can't pay. They're not going to post the emails from their boss complaining about something they did or didn't do at work. They're not going to post the text messages between them and their significant other of them arguing or pictures of them in bed, depressed and sad. Now, some people do post these things, but most people do not. A lot of people on social media are depressed. They have low self-esteem. They're dealing with problems in their life, problems inside their mind and in their body. And they're posting what they want you to see. And they read the comments. They see the likes. And that makes them feel better. Meanwhile, other people are watching and they feel more depressed because they're comparing themselves to something online that's not completely real. And then people start to feel like they don't belong or like they're not doing enough in their life. And all I can say is this. We are all human. We all struggle mentally, emotionally, physically with something. When people isolate themselves, it only makes the depression worse. They, you know, their thoughts affect how they feel. 
Sometimes depression can be caused by genetics, like maybe there's a history of depression in your family. When people have a first degree relative, like a mother or a father with depression, it increases the person's risk of depression by one and a half to three times. Some people take medication for health conditions and they get depressed because the side effects of the medication cause the depression. Some people also have underlying health issues that they don't know about, and that's what's causing the depression. Or sometimes they're using drugs and they're suffering from alcoholism and that can lead to depression. You know, um, other reasons why people get depressed in the black community is that um, we get exposed to trauma. The exposure to trauma can cause depression because black people of all ages are more likely to witness or be victims of serious violent crimes. This exposure to violence increases our risk of developing mental health conditions like PTSD, depression and anxiety. And then black children, they're more likely than other children to be exposed to violence, which has a long term and profound effect on their mental health. Like I talked about earlier, poverty, poverty and having a low socioeconomic status can cause depression. There have been studies that show that poverty contributes to the onset of mental illness in black people. You know, oftentimes when people don't have money and they don't have resources, they get depressed. They go into this downward spiral and they're making more trips to the emergency room because the depression affects their health, their overall physical health, mental health, everything. Now they have health care costs and this leads to more poverty. Do you know that black people make up more than 50 percent of the homeless population? So poverty is a huge factor. And do you know how many homeless people have mental health conditions? So this is an issue. It has to do with our depression in the black community. So poverty plays a huge role, like I said. And when black people don't get treatment for depression, it leads them to using the healthcare system more. Like I keep saying, they end up visiting the emergency room more. They call off of work more and they have problems at work or they get fired from jobs. Black people miss more days at work than any other ethnicity who are dealing with major depression. And that's because for black people, it's just more debilitating. Depression also affects the black family because black mothers are depressed. And this depression, it causes them to have low birth weight babies. Babies are being born early or the mom might be using drugs and alcohol to cope. So now black babies are being born with low birth weights. There may be more violence in the home because of the depression and the anger outbursts and they're not dealing with their feelings and emotions. You know, our black babies often face um, failure to thrive. They don't meet the recognized standards of growth. They're too small for their age. They're undernourished. They have poor nutrition when a parent is depressed because the kids now have to feed themselves. They have poor feeding habits. They are often neglected. There's physical abuse, there's mental trauma, the kids are depressed, and they're living in poverty. So they're not thriving like they should. They're not growing. They're not growing, gaining the weight like they should. They have developmental delays and they're delayed in meeting developmental milestones. They have learning disabilities and they don't show their emotions like smiling or laughing or making eye contact. You've seen these children. They might be tired a lot. They're irritable. If they're in puberty, their puberty is delayed and teens might be going into their puberty later than they should be. Untreated depression disturbs the black family on so many levels. 
You know, there are no human beings on this earth who live their life without experiencing some kind of problems. Depression is common. You might know somebody right now who's suffering and they don't know why. You might be dealing with depression. The good news is that like other illnesses, like heart disease and diabetes, clinical depression is treatable. Let me tell you how. You know what time it is. It's time to cope. It's time to pull out our coping toolbox. Today, I'm going to give us some tools to toss in there to help us cope with depression. Remember, we are going to be building this coping toolbox every time that we're together so we can keep everything that we need that can calm us during times of distress and help us to express how we feel in healthy ways. The first thing I want to say is that it's important to recognize the symptoms of depression and how they show up differently in black people. And that can help you to recognize if you or someone you love might need help. If the symptoms last for more than two weeks and the person has like at least five of the symptoms that I mentioned earlier, then they might need to be evaluated for clinical depression. If you want to find out in a quick, easy, confidential way, if you might be experiencing some depression symptoms, you can do a mental health depression screening online. They have different ones that you can do. And it's not a diagnosis, but it can just help you to understand what the symptoms are that you're having and if they're impacting you enough to where you need to see a doctor or um, a mental health professional. You can go to um, www.mhascreening.org. So www.mhascreening to take a depression screening. And then the first thing you want to do when you're seeking help for clinical depression, talk to your doctor, talk to your primary care provider, and they might recommend that you take a physical first just to make sure that you don't have like some underlying physical health issue that's causing the depression symptoms. And then if the doctor diagnoses you with clinical depression, then they'll refer you to a mental health um, professional. And it could be a psychiatrist, a licensed clinical psychologist, or a licensed clinical social worker. If you don't feel comfortable talking to your doctor about it, you can also go onto my Instagram page at Dr. Tina Webb, and there are resources there that can help you to find a black therapist or find you other um, black therapist directories and other resources that you can use so that you can seek help. It's important to get treatment for clinical depression because without proper treatment, it's only going to get worse and it's going to make your day to day life even harder. Like we have to start talking about depression in the black community so we can end stigma. If we increase awareness, then people won't suffer in silence. We have to stop denying ourselves the help just because we need to appear strong. Real strength lies in recognizing the need for help and seeking it out. Another thing I'd like to say is that if you are a member of of a faith community, like say you go to church or you go to the mosque or you go to Kingdom Hall or however you worship, if you have a church or you're the pastor, maybe you do work within within your faith community or you're a member, find out ways that you can integrate within your faith community education about mental health services and how spirituality can work together so people can get the help that they need because education is necessary because there are many times that people with mental health conditions come to church they come to the spirit the faith the faith institutions and they might be in crisis they're saying things and they're behaving in ways that a pastor or the ushers 
or the deacons or the choir director or other spiritual leaders, they're not equipped to handle or treat. To keep it real, some spiritual leaders might have their own mental health conditions that they're not even getting treatment for. They may not even recognize what they're dealing with. They're human too. Keep praying, keep reading the Bible. Those are all coping strategies, but also know when to seek professional help. Another thing you can do is try to practice confronting your problems instead of avoiding them. This can help you overcome depression and distress. You know, ask for help. Talk to your family. Talk to your friends. If you're close with your neighbors or a religious leader and get support. If you do seek professional mental health um, services, just know that a combination of medication and therapy has been proven to help relieve the depressive symptoms. You want to talk to your psychiatrist first, though. Talk to them about antidepressants and you can talk about the benefits. Make sure you talk about the side effects. Tell them your concerns because a lot of black people don't want to take medications, but you need to talk about this with the doctor. If you do take antidepressants, just know that it could take up to eight weeks or so before you you start to notice any improvement. So just give it time. It has to get in your system. So don't just stop taking your medication first without talking to your doctor, because some medications, you can't just stop them abruptly like that. You have to um, be weaned off of them because like I said, it can cause you a lot of other problems if you stop them like that. You also want to let your doctor know, too, before you start taking any medications so that you don't have any um, dangerous drug interactions. You have to let them know all the medications that you're taking, including prescriptions, over the counters, if it's herbal, if it's dietary supplements, if it's vitamins. And make sure your doctor knows you're taking these um, medications, especially if you're taking something for um, anxiety. Make sure you tell your doctor about it. And I just want to stick on this medication for a minute because black people don't like to take medication, but I just want to give you all the, the information that you might need to make a more informed decision when you talk with your doctor. You want to make sure that you learn from your doctor how a new medication, how you're supposed to take it. Are you supposed to take it on an empty stomach with food? Are you supposed to take it in the morning, in the evening? How frequently are you supposed to take it? And then you also want to find out you know, like I said, it could take like up to eight weeks, but you want to ask your doctor, how long will it take for this medication to start working? So you can kind of expect it. Make sure you get all the info, get the after hours phone number. Like, is there an after hours phone number I can call in case I get side effects? Also, when you go pick up your medication from the pharmacist, make sure you ask them questions because the pharmacist, they'll know all the information about your prescriptions and they can let you know, like if you if you might have a possible drug interaction, they can tell you about side effects. They can tell you how to take your medication. So when they ask you, because, you know, they come up and they're like, OK, we have here this medication for blah, blah, blah. Do you have any questions? And a lot of times we'd be like, no. But it's a new day, y'all. We're going to ask these questions. And if you talk to your doctor and you're asking him a lot of questions and they seem like he's rushy, he doesn't want to take time to answer your questions, then get a new doctor. Re get a referral to somebody else because this is your body. It's your life. And they are here to help you and to listen. You know, also, people are starting to use CBD. And CBD has it helps with depression symptoms. But you want to make sure you talk to your doctor first before you just go start taking some CBD. You know what else helps people too when they're um, dealing with depression? Like they'll, they'll take the medication, they'll do the individual therapy, but also group therapy. 
group therapy and support groups are very helpful because people get to share their experiences with depression and you're listening to it and you might learn like some different coping skills and you learn what's helped this person. And then also these groups is a good place to like exchange information. They might be somebody might be going to like a really good doctor and you're like, hmm. Let me get that info. So people exchange a lot of information. They learn a lot of skills and tips. So support groups are a great place also. Another thing I wanted to touch on is that we are in the middle of this COVID-19 pandemic. And like Michelle Obama said, people are struggling. People have mild depression. People have severe depression. People are stressed. And in order to manage your stress during this COVID-19 pandemic, you know, for some of us, I think that it would be beneficial And it's up to you if this is feasible for you. Take a break from the news. You might not have to watch the news all day about COVID-19. That's depressing and it can cause a lot more stress and anxiety. Another thing I would say is try to get some exercise. Try to get moving around a little bit. That can help to decrease the stress. So you can, you know, if you don't like to um, lift weights and all that, you can go for a walk. You can go for a jog. You can do jumping jacks in the living room or some little push-ups, and just try to eat healthy meals. And that can help to decrease some of the stress and the depression. And try to make sure you get enough sleep. I know a lot of our sleep schedules are off since this pandemic. Like a lot of us are staying up all through the night. We're sleeping during the day or we're just off. Like it's just really unbalanced. So try to get yourself on a sleep schedule if you can, or just make sure you get enough hours of sleep. And try to monitor and limit your alcohol intake. I know a lot of people that I know, they started drinking a lot when this pandemic started. People are spending a lot of time at home with family and stuff and and they're watching movies and they're just chilling and they've been drinking more or people have been using drugs more as well. So just try your best to try to limit some of those behaviors so that you don't um, end up having a deeper problem later after this pandemic is over. And now you have this other problem that you have to deal with. And make sure that you make time for yourself. Find ways to unwind and do some activities like Michelle Obama. She said that they've been doing like playing cards. They've been playing spades. They've been doing puzzles. Do activities that you enjoy. Set up your karaoke machine and do karaoke. I say that because that's what I like. Um, (laughs) You know, do a little board games with the kids. Pull out a book and read it or do an audio book. Light you some candles and and read your book and have you some nice um, herbal tea or something. You know, do things that you enjoy. If you want to light some candles and have a nice bubble bath, hey, do your thing. Because it's your thing. Do what you want to do. You know, if you think that you're experiencing depression, it's important that you maintain like a daily routine. Try to establish like healthy patterns. And that's why I was saying sleep. Um. Try to eat at regular times of the day and try to just have like some meaningful social interactions with people because it's your life and you can do what you want to do. I also want to say that, you know, discussing mental health in the black community is still a sensitive topic. And sometimes we don't know what to say to someone who is struggling like you don't want to say the wrong thing to a friend or to your loved one when they tell you that they're struggling with depression or with suicidal thoughts. So sometimes the best thing that you can do is just listen, show them compassion. And that helps, you know, check in with them, call or text them and just see how they're doing sometimes. And that lets them know that you're thinking about them and that you're there for for them. Even though you can't see them during this COVID-19 time, check on them. 
some things that you can do when you check on them. You can always just offer support like, hey, I'm here for you. If you ever want to talk, you know, you can talk to me, call me. I'm going to be checking in on you. You can also help to find them a therapist. You can say, hey, you know, I know of this therapist directory um, and there's some information on drtinaweb.com or on Dr. Tina Webb's IG, or you can direct them to this podcast. Like, hey, have you heard um, any of the podcasts from Coping Season with Dr. Tina Webb? And you can turn them on to this and then they can start listening and maybe this can help them. Sometimes people tell you things and you don't feel like you're equipped to help to help them like that. Like maybe it's somebody that you go to school with and you can ask them, ask them first if it's okay if you reach out to the school counselor on their behalf or if you reach out to a pastor or somebody that you know that can help them. Make sure you ask them first because you don't want to overstep your boundaries and then they'll get really upset with you. And just remember too, like your depressed friend or family member, they probably don't want to hang out. So just be patient and understanding with them. Like if you invite them places and they're always like, oh, no, 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 don't stop inviting them. Still invite them and just let them know like, hey, I would love for you to be there, but don't pressure them. You know, if they say no, then okay, let it be. And when somebody opens up to you about how they're feeling or something that they're going through, try not to judge them. You know, try not to say things like get over it. Or you got to try harder. You're going to have to try harder to get past this. You know, a lot of times when people are depressed, they are trying to move forward, but it's not that easy. So don't devalue them and their experience by saying stuff like get over it. And if you feel comfortable, something else that can help is if you share your mental health experiences with them. Maybe you've been feeling depressed in the past. You can tell them something that's worked for you or you can tell them, make them feel that they're not alone by sharing with them something that's happened to maybe somebody that you know and how they came out of it. That can help people sometimes. But the biggest thing that you can do when you want to help somebody is educate yourself Learn about depression so that you can get a sense of what they're going through and make sure also that you take care of yourself before you try to help somebody else. A lot of people are out here like trying to help somebody else and giving advice and they haven't even taken care of their own mental health. So if you're having mental health issues, get help. Take care of your own mental health first because you're going to have to make sure that you're okay while you're helping somebody else. And if you are somebody that, you know, is thinking about suicide If you're having thoughts of killing yourself, if you're having thoughts of just not being here anymore, you know, I'll be better off if I was dead. People will be better off without me. And you're having those type of suicidal ideations and thoughts. Please get help. If you are thinking of attempting suicide, get help. You can call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline 24 hours a day. It's confidential. And you can also encourage your friend to call if they've disclosed to you that that's how they're feeling. And the number is 1-800-273-8255, 800-273-8255. Like I said, it's confidential. You can call 24 hours a day just to talk to somebody. If you're struggling with depression, try to share what you're going through with a friend or a family member and try to pick somebody who is more of a listener instead of somebody who gives a lot of advice. And if you don't know who you can talk to, start just sharing like a little bits and pieces about what you're going through and see how they react. If the person responds in a way and it makes you feel better, then you know that that's somebody that you can open up more to and you can share more. But if you open up and the person makes you feel stupid about what you said or they make you feel guilty about what you're feeling, then just stop sharing with them. Don't don't talk about it anymore. Just change the subject because they've already shown you that there's somebody that you're not able to talk to about this problem. 
You know, I want to give everybody a couple more phone numbers to put in our coping toolbox. So say you're looking for referrals to mental health professionals in your area. You can call the National Alliance on Mental Illness, which is NAMI, and they have a helpline. It's anonymous as well. And their phone number is 1-800-950-6264-800-950-6264. You can call them for help. You can call them to get a referral whatever you might need just to talk to somebody. You can also call the National Treatment Referral Helpline too, and you can get help from them and you can get referrals. And their number is 800-662-HELP, 800-662-HELP, 800-662-4357. I want you all to know that most of us go through difficult experiences and we struggle with some form of distress. It's important to know that your struggle makes you more human, not less human. So it's okay to get help. It's okay to talk about what you're going through. The more we talk about our pains, the better chance we have of changing the view of mental health in the black community, the better chance we have of improving our families and the mental health of our children and the future generations to come. And that's all the tools that I got. Go ahead and put those coping toolboxes away, y'all. It's time for one of my favorite parts of the show. Movie therapy, music therapy. I'd like to dedicate today's episode to the song called Beautiful Flower by India Irie. And the song says, This is a song for everyone who's ever been through something you thought you couldn't make it through. I sing these words because I was that girl too, wanting something better than this. But who can I turn to? Now we're moving from the darkness into the light. This is the defining moment of our life. Cause you're beautiful like a flower. More valuable than a diamond. You are powerful like a fire. You can heal the world with your mind. And there is nothing in the world that you cannot do. When you believe in you, who are beautiful, yeah, you, who are brilliant, yeah, you, who are powerful, yeah, you, who are resilient. I believe that, I receive that, and I mean that. It's coping season, y'all. Thank you for joining me this week. I hope you all enjoyed this episode. You are not only listeners, you are my co-hosts, and we are a community. And I would love to hear from you. I'd love to hear your stories, experiences, and thoughts related to life issues, topics you'd like to hear discussed, or questions you'd like answered. Please visit me on the web at drtinaweb.com and click on Ask Dr. Tina to submit your questions, thoughts, and more. Tune in every Wednesday to hear my response. You can also check out the show notes as well as other contact information on the website. In the meantime and in between time, for additional updates, conversations, and more ways to interact, please connect with me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Dr. Tina Webb. That's D-R-T-I. 
N-A-W-E-B-B. Feel free to share your thoughts from the show on social media using the hashtag Coping Season Podcast. Lastly, please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you are listening to help others find the show and learn to cope just like you. I appreciate and read every single review. Thank you so much for listening to the show and for spreading the word to all of your friends, family, and coworkers. I so appreciate it. Thank you. And I'll see you next week.